I, I, you know, I think about the moment when I was six or seven or I don't know how old and I realized I don't want to hold my mom's hand anymore. And that, that was a, that was a wound for me. And it, or it was, it was some, it was a bridge to cross. It was confusing. It, it, I don't know why, but I wasn't comfortable and so on. And there was this shame and there it was. And all I did was then therefore just build my house on top of that. Right. And keep going and building it. I, I joined boy culture and boy culture said, come on in. You're listening to, so what's your story? A podcast about writers and writing. I'm Tony Russo on each episode my co-host Stephanie Fowler and I speak with authors about the story behind their story to get out what they do and why they do it. Today, our guest is award-winning poet Christopher Salerno, and we are looking forward to talking with him about his upcoming new body of work, The Mangrave, which explores themes like manliness, toxic masculinity, and violence. So welcome back to the podcast, Christopher. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to, to see you again. Um, for the Ever since the last time we did a podcast with you, I have basically stolen some of your, I've kind of plagiarized you in, in other um, interviews because wow. I remember the last time we were talking, you were talking about how poetry is a process of like distillation and kind of like distilling things down to their, mm. you know, most raw form. Mm. And that really stuck with me. So every time I talk to people, you know, poets or I talk to people, I'm like, let me tell you what Christopher Salerno told me. <laughs> That's great. That's uh, I'm honored. Feel free to uh, to take whatever wisdom I may have had that has also left my head as well by that by at, now. So at, at the risk of letting Stephanie be the only brown noser, whenever I see books on the same theme, that's what I think about. I'm like, mm. this is the short story version of this book. That means that mm. there's also a poem version of this book out there someplace as well. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I like, I like that way of thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have a new body of work. It's coming out in October, correct? Yeah. September, October mm -hmm, from uh, Persea Books in, uh, in New York. And uh, yeah, it should be out should be out sometime around then. Yeah. Fantastic. And so for this new um, uh, collection of poetry, um, forgive me if I got my homework wrong, but this came sort of like from an exercise. I think someone gave you some, some feelings on a piece of paper and, oh. and it kind of was born out of that. Was, am I mm. correct on that? Or did I get my homework wrong? You know, you, you, you are, uh, that the origin story of, of that work did eventually make it into these poems. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's quite a, that was quite a moment for me. I think, uh, it, it was maybe a decade ago. Um, I remember a particular, particular tough period of my life where I, where I was, uh, you know, handed a, a, a sheet, um, of, of feelings, a, a list of emotional states and feelings. And I, and I, and I looked at that list and I thought, you know, I'm not sure I have recognized those feelings before. I don't know that I have, you know, um, felt them or understood them or could, could even voice what they are. And that was a profound moment for me because I, I realized that, uh, you know, um, that was a product of my cultural experience, you know, as a, as a man, uh, as a man in our, in our culture. 
uh, I was not socialized to really engage with those feelings or to, to explore them or to share them with anyone. And that, that was, um, that was a, a bit of a turning point for me, you know, to, toward, um, maybe, uh, disrupting this kind of, you know, uh, this kind of path that I was on, you know, as a man. And there's also the opportunity to put a name to something, mm. you know, once you have, you know, if you're, if you're walking around with this word, you, you're waiting to use it. Right? Mm -hmm. And and so when, when you, when you have this word in your head and you're like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that emotion, it might also yeah. make you more attuned to when you have the opportunity, like I could be happy, but let's go for joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, once you, once you realize, uh, once you expand your vocabulary, you know, for, for your feelings and, and begin to kind of think about feeling them and talking about them maybe, and even expressing them. It's not that I hadn't felt those feelings, but I hadn't, I had no real language for them, um, personally. And that, that was a big disappointment. And, uh, and it really, it really got me thinking about what else is, what else have I been, uh, you know, socialized to, to do as a man? I mean, I the answer is obvious, but you know, the, the sort of man brand, you know, is, um, is really pushing us away from those kinds of feelings and, th and that kind of, uh, expression and reflection. And yeah, I'm, 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 so I'm in the process of trying to trying to work through some of that and uh poetry is where i do most of my work so uh so that's why the mangrave came about i suppose that would be the origin story do you do you have a, an example like i know that that's two point maybe two pointed a question but i'm asking it anyway mm. yeah you know it's uh <laughs> there's probably a lot left to do on that list um, <laughs> but um well you know the so so we, we, we would need to talk about shame, you know, I mean, I think that 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 is um, one of the core, you know, uh, the core feelings that that we are that we get from this experience as, as men in our culture. Um, you know, I think um, from a very early age, we're taught not to, you know, not to be emotional, um, not to be weak, not to uh, let on that we're suffering or struggling. And so um, we have shame and, and fear and we don't ever identify it. Um, oh. we, we don't, we don't really break it down and, and handle it. And, um, as you know, as men, that's, it's just not really, um, appropriate. Right. So, so that, you know, that would, I mean, I think just shame, guilt, fear, these feelings that, um, you know, that with that, that are, uh, deep within us and have been there for a long, long time. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I was really in touch with those. Feelings. Those are just bad feelings. I feel they're just bad. exactly. It's just a yeah. general bad feeling, but, um, until you really begin to unpack and explore what that, what those feelings are, um, you can't really sort of, you know, integrate them into yourself. I mean, some of this is very psychologically, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do subscribe to, um, you know, the, the, the kind of maps of the psyche of the great, you know, psychologists and, you know, like Carl Jung, um, you know, and this idea of the shadow, which is something I'm really interested in. Um, and the shadow is, you know, a really big part of, of, of being a man in our culture, because 
the shadow is really like that that part of ourselves that's not conscious it's not it's it's not we're not really aware of it but it's the place where we kind of shove and put all those things that maybe we are ashamed of or the dark aspects of ourselves the corrections that we've gotten we put those things there and and we we maybe don't access them but you know, if we start to do some of that work, you know, some of the shadow work, then we, we start to be able to sort of integrate some of that stuff and it, and it, and it, you know, alleviates the pressure, you know, in ourselves. Um, and I, I'm, I'm interested in that work. And for me, poetry is the place to do it, you know, and that's why some of these poems are, you know, that they can be darker because to me that engaging with that darkness is, is some of this shadow work and that, that's, you know, that is confronting some of the shame and the guilt and fear and things that we have, but we don't, we don't get to really explore explicitly very often. And I think that's something that feels pretty culturally relevant uh, right now, or relevant right now, um, because we've, you know, had the Me Too movement, which, mm-hmm. you know, has been a very powerful force. And then now, you know, thinking about, which I think made us sort of confront toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and what it means to be a man and these sort of different definitions of, you know, what it means to be a man, even into, you know, segueing into the LGBTQ culture and, you know, and and so I think what, you know, talking about, you know, um, you know, these feelings, these emotions, and then what they mean in terms of their cultural relevance, you know, in terms of like the Me Too movement, in terms of, you know, this toxic masculinity, which, you know, you just go onto Twitter and, you know, hashtag toxic masculinity and you're going to get a whole host of things. So I, Mm -hmm. what I think is really interesting is, um, that using poetry as a way to define or confront or encapsulate toxic masculinity, um, I think is a very interesting, um, to me, to me, I'm, I'm very interested to see how, how, how you approach that, because if you were to kind of go into the, to the masses and say, talk, let's talk about toxic masculinity. I don't know that poetry would be mm. sort of the, the, the primary, mm. you know, pathway people would take towards it. So I do think that that is interesting. And did you find that approaching toxic masculinity through poetry was either particularly hard or did you find it because that's your natural voice. Was that just like, this is how I'm going to tackle this? That's a really great question. Uh, I think, yeah. I I mean, to go back to your, your point about, uh, you know, about, you know, hashtags and and our current, you know, awakening as a culture. Um, yeah, I mean, I call this period, the great correction, you know, and, and whether it ends up being that and whether it's enough is, is a separate issue, but you know, we, we are more, far more focused on, on these problem areas. And I, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that. And for me as a, you know, as a poet, I think where some of that does come in is because memory and experience is so important to the poet because you're making sense of your, of your life, of your life. You're making sense of your lived experience and um, bringing it in. And if it happens to to fall into these areas, then, then, then the work is being done and the work gets done. You know, I think for me, because I have so many, you know, those of us who are a certain age, you know, if we, if we, you know, we, if we grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, as kids or boys, I mean, we, we've lived on two sides of a, of a, of a fence in a way, you know, before the internet and after to some degree. And, um, you know, and, and now, you know, messages, 
you know, like, like I say, the great correction. I mean, the, these topics are being discussed en masse and, and at large and in ways that they never were. But when we grew up, uh, we have those experiences. And for me, those experiences were, uh, you know, they were very frank, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in, in a family that, um, was a, you know, largely male dominated, you know, roughly working class, um, you know, no, no real books around, uh, no one talking about feelings, um, you know, poetry for me, uh, I discovered, uh, you know, overhearing someone else talking about it, you know, th these things weren't there for me. It was sports culture. You know, I played football for six years, you know, I played sports. I was, I was in that culture. I was, I was not conscious of, um, any of what, what I'm talking about now. So, so I have these, these memories of being, you know, the first person in my family to go to college and, you know, and, and having, um, this sort of struggle of, you know, of, of a, a family that, that was, you know, um, you know, not invested in, in, uh, not invested in, in, in conversation about, you know, about, about, about feelings and about emotional, uh, the emotional landscape, you know, and, um, yeah, it, it, and so, and so those experiences form the foundation of the, of the, the poems and, and the exploration, you know, uh, is, is then the work that's done is usually done by bringing those memories in to this, you know, this space where language is, is, you know, um, is, is being made and, and moved and, and, and orchestrated, um, and so I think that that's why poetry works so well for this kind of shadow work and for these, you know, um, and for exploring these, these other, these, these events and these experiences that we've had. When you're, you're obviously not going like, you know, poem by poem by poem by poem there. Um, we had talked about this last time, but I always like to revisit it. This idea of this is going to work in the book and this is not going to mm. work in the book, but it needs to be said. I mean, you, you, how, how you've been working on this, I guess, two years, right? Cause that's the last time we spoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say and, so. And so uh, along that process, did you find you were publishing things that were almost on topic? Like mm -hmm. it could go, but I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. I'm not going to keep it. Yeah. You know, you're, you know, when you talk, yeah. So in, in, in the poetry world, we do have these conversations about like, what is a book and uh, how is it, you know, should it organize itself around a theme like that? And, and how do you know? And yeah, you know, I think, um, I, I think I started writing about these, uh, these issues and started, you know, confronting them in poetry. And then when I had a few of them, I just felt I wanted to keep going. And so there are definitely poems that fell outside of this realm that weren't, that didn't make it into the book. And, you know, maybe they were about something totally different and, 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 um, that does happen, but I did, I did stay relatively focused on this issue and, you know, and worked, you know, worked on it, uh, in, you know, um, in my poetry exclusively. Um, did you find that, did you find that it came easier because you were, I don't want to say narrowing your focus, but I'm going to like yeah. narrowing your focus. It does. You know, once you get into it, um, you know, it, it, it does, it does keep offering you more, you know, once you, once you open that door to a theme, to an idea, then you, you're, you're listening for it. So, you know, maybe two years ago when I started writing a few of these poems, 
and convinced myself that this was the direction I wanted to go in, well, then the things swirling around me became, you know, they started to be, you know, magnetized, you know, it, it became part, they all became fodder, they all became, you know, uh, possibilities. And so, um, it, so it begins to open up and offer you a lot of different avenues to kind of keep going with the theme and the idea. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's usually how it gets built for me. Yeah, I remember reading, um, because you and I are friends on Facebook, I remember seeing a post where you talked about kind of like your origin story as a poet, mm -hmm. where you were talking about, I was a sports kid in high school, mm -hmm. I wasn't invited to the AP classes, but I, you were eavesdropping, I believe, on an Emily Dickinson poem. I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I was such a lousy student, gosh. You know, yeah, I, was such a, <laughs> I, I was fa probably failing English at that moment. You know, I, I remember my English teacher wrote a little thing on the top of one of my papers that said, turn your car around. And I had a little drawing of a car, you know, cause I'd gotten a D on a paper or something, you know, and I, so I, I wasn't invited into any of these advanced placement classes, but you know, I remember walking by one. And when I did, I noticed a few of the s smart kids in there circled up and around the tables and the, the teacher was reading this, Emily Dickinson poem, I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? And so, you know, a, a wonderful little poem by, by Emily Dickinson and I, and I could hear her and I was more so just curious because I could see, you know, the people circled up and it just looked like they were really doing something much deeper than anything I had done. And, but then I, but then I heard this line, uh, how dreary to be somebody, how public like a frog. And I was standing out there and I heard that line, how public, like a frog. And I just thought, wow, what is that? Like, you can do that with language. You can make a comparison like that. Like, it was the first time that a figure of speech had ever really landed with me. It had ever really hit me that, oh, you can bring these two things together that don't make sense. And you can make this magical new figure, this new construction out of language and ideas and it blew my mind really i mean just fireworks kind of going off and i from that point on i just i thought oh wow you know and that that stayed with me forever i never even read the i didn't read the poem after that i didn't know who had written it i didn't know anything about it until years later but i'd always had that how public like a frog in my head and it was just stayed with me and i thought of it all the time and but i did you know at, in high school after that secretly write poems and you know, after football practice and, you know, parties or something like I, I did, you know, I, I did start writing poems at that point. And, um, you know, and then I took it more seriously when I got to college and realized that I, you know, I, I really loved it and fell in love with it. But so yeah, it almost, yeah, it almost feels like knowing that kind of moment, here's this football player who overhears mm -hmm. Emily Dickinson and, you know, starts writing poems after football practice like it almost seems maybe, and I don't want to be too, too trite about it, but like it was the man grave inevitable, mm. you know, was this collection about manliness and mm. violence and what it means to be a man, the man brand toxic, toxic masculinity. Like was this sort of percolating kind of all, was this an inevitable collection that was going to come mm. from you? Yeah. You know, I think I, it must be, you know, because you know, we all have our, our experiences that, that kind of, you know, that, that begin to, to, to billow in us and to begin to grow and, and you start to realize like, Oh, okay. You know, what I, what I am and what I'm doing, um, is really in contrast to where I came from. 
And that I, you know, maybe if I bring those things together, you know, um, that will be interesting, you know, and I, I'm such a foreigner in my family and my, you know, in, in my historically, I mean, I just, you know, um, being the only one to really like go away to college. I mean, you know, in, in all of my family, like in my, you know, in, in my extended family, even just, you know, I mean, I, in my family, you know, I, I, I joke about this and, but there are more mugshots than there are college degrees in my family. Uh, and, um, you know, th th that's not something, that's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that reminds me of, um, just sort of what I'm doing now and, um, how much I have, uh, you know, how much I am aware of, of it, it helps me be aware of what I'm doing now because, because it's so different than what I, than what I could have been doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if college didn't call me one day, you know, I had no intention of going to college. I didn't even think anything of it. And, you know, um, and then some college called me up and said, you know, do you want to come? And I, didn't know anything. And I, you know, and I didn't know anything about college. I wasn't intending to go. And, and so I went and then, you know, I failed and failed and failed. And then I found poetry and I started passing things, you know, it was like, until, until I found poetry, I, I was, I wasn't really cut out for anything else. Um, and so that's kind of where I am now. Uh, yeah, kind of, a but, I think, yes, the mangrave was certainly born a long, long time ago, I think, but, but the current, the, the current cultural moment has, um, you know, intersected with my own path as a, as a man trying to, to kind of divest from this kind of, uh, masculinity and, and, and the, uh, this manliness culture, you know, this idealized, uh, m manliness that I'm, you know, interested in, in, in divesting from and, and, and as I'm doing that, I'm, as you do that, when you wake up to that, you begin to really, um, just see it more and more and more, you know, when you come to terms with manliness culture, you, you really, it opens your eyes, you know, and, um, and that's where I'm at now. Sort of my eyes are open and I'm, I'm hoping to grow and do better. <laughs> right. And speaking of where you are now, um, you were at home, but you would normally this week, you would be in Salisbury, Maryland doing <sighs> the Salisbury Poetry Week. Don't make um, that noise about coming to Salisbury. Oh, I would <laughs> love to. I would, I'm loving, I, I wish I could be there. Yeah, I wish you could be in Patterson, so. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, off, I wish you could be anywhere else all the time, so. <laughs> right, don't we all? We're, that's right. Grass is always greener, they say. Right, so you are the current poet in residence for Salisbury's Poetry Week. Um, I think this is your second time, right? No, but I was there before okay. um, as as part of the, the uh, Eastern Shore, the Beta Ocean Writers Conference. Okay, gotcha, uh, gotcha. And, uh, and yeah, the... the you know, we, we have to thank the Community Foundation and the Maryland Humanities and, and of course, Tara Elliott, uh, the founder of, of the Salisbury Poetry Week. This is such an amazing community that you have there. Uh, and I've been, I, I've been involved with it a few times and I just am stunned by, by the community, by just how, how in love they are with poetry and how, and how, 
how they're all just building and, and, you know, adding and, and, and communing around it. It's just, it's amazing. Well, I think when you have somebody like Tara, uh, <laughs> who is just like this nonstop firecracker mm-hmm. of, of energy for writing and poetry and the arts, um, you know, it's easy to feed off people like Tara because, you know, she's going to give you a, a burst of energy. Yeah. But, Yes. So, so for the poetry week, are you, could you tell us a little bit about what your role is, how you're involved with it? Yeah. So I'm, I've been, um, so far, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed, I got to meet with, uh, uh, with Tara's middle school students, uh, yesterday and we got to teach them about the, uh, making object poems and we're going to, we're going to meet them again tomorrow and revise what we did on Tuesday and, uh, I've been reading the, um, you know, the, the poems that were sent in and we're going to have a, a critique session where we're going to workshop uh, the poems that folks have submitted for that, that sort of roundtable discussion. Uh, we're going to do a big reading tomorrow night, uh, or I think it's tomorrow night, right? Thursday night. And um, we, and I, and I think the, the events have all been put in the, in the sort of chat here, by the way. Um, and we're going to do a, a workshop on memory and metaphor and, and uh, uh, through the library locally. Um, we're going to do that on Saturday. And uh, we are, uh, we're just having a great time. Um, there's so many fine poets there in, the, in that area. And uh, I've just, everyone I've met has just been brilliant. So I, I look forward to more of that. I, I, I have a I have a question from before. Can I still ask it or by all means, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. I think I cut you off a few minutes ago. So yeah, okay. I, I wrote it down so I didn't have to have a half a stroke this time. Um increasingly I've I've been hearing conversations that the idea of gender might just be completely the wrong way to talk about being a person. Mm. And when you start to pull about what gender means and what it does and like biologically still a sliding scale Mm. and so i think that when this kind of you were saying as the conversation came up i think when we're having these conversations about like what does gender do Mm. right What, what what does gender accomplish in the language because at this point it doesn't it doesn't accomplish much Mm. you know like He's a good guy. That still works. But, you know, mm. and he's a man's man, probably kind of work. <laughs> right. But there was a man on the corner. We don't know anything mm. specifically mm. about how manly or he is or is not like we don't mm. know anything about except that we are guessing at his gender mm. because we are given just the two choices. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about this that. Well, first, I'll say there's so much about this that I don't know. Um, there's so much I'd still want to read and have to learn, but I will say, you know, as a participant, you know, uh, I, and someone who, you know, grew up fully participating, um, in, in my gender, um, you know, I, I just think the traditional idealized versions of, of, of just, you know, of of masculinity, you know, it just creates such barriers to, to, to vulnerability, um, which therefore then creates a great barrier to intimacy, uh, which then therefore creates barriers to relationships. Right. I mean, we, you know, 
I'll say this as a man, uh, women have taught me how to feel my feelings. I didn't learn that anywhere else and couldn't have. So, um, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> you know, that that's not something that I was given by my gender, you know, that just wasn't part of the man brand for me, you know? So, um, you know, I, I love this. I love this study that shows that, uh, when men are around women, they eat 93% more pizza. <laughs> if there's pizza around and men are there, they, in a study, ate 93% more. That now, would mean that there was 200% pizza in the room, though. That's a lot of pizza, right? And uh, <laughs> I'm not know, complaining I, about pizza in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, now, I like snacks and food and pizza. I, I would maybe eat a lot more pizza, too. But, <laughs> you know, what does it mean? Well, I don't know. It means that, that for some reason deep inside of us, we're performing something or, uh, you know, that, that has been, you know, integrated into us that, that we, that we don't know about or studies that look at how men socialize with each other versus how women socialize with each other. You know, uh, you know, researchers go out and they observe and they see that women are talking to each other face to face and men are talking to each other shoulder to shoulder. Right. Um, we, you know, we just, we have these cultural differences. And to come back to your point, I mean, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, cultural constructs and we perpetuate it, you know, we, we, we perpetuate it and, you know, we perform it sometimes and, um, you know, it's, it's tough and it plays out, it plays out over and over again. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I think about the moment when I was six or seven, or I don't know how old, and I realized I don't want to hold my mom's hand anymore. You know, I, I'm not comfortable with that or whatever. Right. And, and that, that was a, that was a wound for me. And it, or it was, it was some, it was a bridge to cross. It was confusing. It, it, I don't know why, but I wasn't comfortable and so on. And there was this shame and there it was. And, all I did was then therefore just build my house on top of that. Right. And keep going and building it. I, I joined boy culture and boy culture said, come on in. The rules are, we don't really have to talk about any of this stuff. You, you know, <laughs> whatever you're feeling, don't worry about it. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 there was, a, I read this quote and I, I really liked it by Brene Brown. She said, or, and, 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 it, and it was shame needs three things to grow secrecy, silence, and judgment. And I thought, well, as you know, in, in a man culture, we offer that, you know, uh, yeah. we offer that. Right. And so my point is that it just compounds, right. And, and, and to where you get to be, you know, 30 something me who was looking at that list of feelings and realizing, you know, um, I'm not familiar with a lot of these. Um, I've certainly never named them, never talked about them. And, uh, to me, it's like one big bad feeling over here, one good one over there. And uh, that's about as much as I know. And uh, thankfully, I have the women in my life who are able to help me maybe sort those things out. Right. And that, and that, that emotional labor, I, I, I appreciate that. And, I, and I'd like to stop, uh, stop having it now. You know, I'd, I'd like to stop putting that on them to do that work. So it's, yeah, it's... Uh, so it sounds a little bit like the man grave was like an unburdening or like a, maybe there was some relief 
mm-hmm. you know, that comes with, with putting this out there and, and mm-hmm. having it, you know, be, be done, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Although I have to say, uh, uh, having this book be done, I don't feel like I'm done. You know, I mean, right. it, it'll be taken away from me very shortly. Uh, I won't have any more ability to make changes to the poems or add anything very shortly. But I, I'm not done with this conversation, you know, because I'm, I'm still learning so much and have so much to learn. And I want to I want to do more of it that. Um, but to some degree, it is an unburdening. I mean, it, you know, I think lyric poetry to some degree uh, in that tradition, you know, it is, you know, it is about that, that need to speak, you know, um, and so that, that is true. Um, but I, I hope to keep talking about it too, you know, and writing about it too. I mean, um, and we hope you keep writing about it. <laughs> Everything about the uh, Salisbury Poetry Week can be found at easternshorewriters.org. And now, Stephanie, this is a part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and talking with us about your new work. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a brilliant conversation and it's been a joy to see you all in in this format. So thank you. I know. Well, we'll we'll be back for your next work. (laughs) That's nice. Thanks. Thanks. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit them at www.saltwatermedia.com. You can find the podcast page at so what's your story podcast.com where we have links to the author's work and short bios and lots of other fun stuff. You can also reach us via email and social there. Tell your story.